farmers, ranchers, and homesteaders. Get ready to learn the skills needed to grow your direct-to-consumer farm brands and keep more of your profits on the farm. This is the Direct Farm Marketing Podcast. Here is your host, Mike Parker. Welcome back, guys, and thank you for listening. In this third episode of the Direct Farm Marketing Podcast, I interview Tom Bennett of Bennett Farms, Michigan. Now, Tom's been in the game since 2010 selling direct to consumers. So he's been around the block. He knows what works and what doesn't work in marketing the farm. He actually, in 2000, from 2010 to 2018, worked an off-farm job and was able to scale his operation to farming full-time. I think, believe this last year he shares in the podcast, he raised 10,000 broilers on pasture, 450 pigs, 700 turkeys, and grass-fed beef. So he scaled an operation. I believe there's a lot of really good takeaways from our conversation that you guys can apply uh, no matter what stage your operation is currently in. And then I wanted to remind you guys that you can still use the code COACHME before January, I don't know the cutoff date exactly, it's going to be sometime in the middle of January that we're going to cut off for the premium coaching program going into 2024, where I'm going to help you guys set up all of your farming, farm marketing infrastructure to help you grow and scale your farm operation in 2024. But I hope you guys enjoy this conversation with Tom and please don't forget to like, comment and subscribe to the podcast. It really helps the algorithm out and get this podcast um, into the hands of more farmers and ranchers so they can benefit from the contents. All right, guys. So today I'm super excited. We got Tom Bennett joining us. Um, Tom, thanks for taking time out of your busy day. Now you got a bunch going on to chat with us. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Yep. It's yeah, so I know we were just kind of just kind of chatting before we started here about how we connected. Um, you know, actually, the algorithm kind of served some of the content that you're putting out there up to me, um, and it's just—I mean, I think I commented back to you or sent you a DM. I was like, "This is the most underrated content, farming content on Instagram." Um, I absolutely loved it. Yeah, thanks. I, yeah, I did read that comment. That felt good because it's like I've been saying that for years. <laughs> <laughs> I've been telling myself. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's yeah. I just do stuff on there, you know, and it, just for my own entertainment, really. And um, you know, it's that's what I I'll, might sit down if I get a half an hour at the end of the day to maybe watch Netflix before going to bed, and I'll never get to watching Netflix because I'll start making reels and cap cut or something from just the most mundane pictures that I or you know videos I have, and so yeah. I'll end up that for two hours. So it's just my own um, entertainment, really. So. Yeah, I get it. So um, share share with me that Instagram handle so our listeners can check that out while they're listening. Yeah, it's uh, Bennett Farms, Michigan, and we're on Instagram. Primarily, everything's done on Instagram, but we're also on Facebook at the same handle and TikTok. So. Super cool. Um, so I was actually supposed to come up and see you. I know we connected about me possibly visiting the farm and then, you know, I'm getting ready to launch the course. I know you've seen a bunch of the stuff that I've personally got going on. Um, and I know flights went up a bunch, so I, we're gonna have to postpone the farm visits and maybe I'll connect with you soon on that. Um, but it looks like, you know, from the outsider looking in, you know, you got a lot of really cool stuff going on. You've been at it a long time. Um, share with us a little bit about kind of how you got started and what you got going on up there. Yeah, so um, I came into farming after I got out of the Marine Corps. So I joined the Marines in 2001, and I was in until 2008 on active duty, so 01 to 08. Um, got out, came home. I had bought land when I was home on leave in 2005 um, up here in Michigan. And, uh, you know, so I had that for a few years before I got out and took a balloon loan on the on the land when I bought it. So I had, like, 
three years to pay it off. Um, and I worked a couple of side jobs while I was in the military stateside um, to get that paid off. So that way, when, when I got out, I was able to build a house and start a farm. Um, yeah, so 2010, 11, 2010, we built the house. 2012, we started raising animals just for our own consumption, just high quality meats for me and my family. Um, and then just organically, you know, word of mouth spread. And we started raising pigs specifically for other people. And within a few years, we were selling a lot of holes and halves, um, things like that to about 40 or 50 families a year. Um, and then we did our first farmer's market in 2016, I believe it was. And our first day there was a huge eye opener. I'm like, holy crap, like I should have been doing this years ago. So we're up to, we gradually added and expanded. We do 10,000 broilers. This season we did 10,000 chickens. Um, we did 450 pigs, 700 turkeys, and just a handful of beef because we're just now starting to dabble in beef. But we sold all that direct to consumer. Um, we do 19 farmers markets a week and then we sell online as well. Wow. That, those are some, some massive numbers. Um, yeah. I don't know if, well, first of all, thank you for your service. I know you shared that earlier. Um, you know, and I, I don't know if I mentioned when we first connected that I actually have my own personal farm as well. I'm partnered with my brother and sister-in-law. We do pastured poultry, pastured pork, and, you know, some of the same things you talked about, not at the scale you're doing them. Um, we're in our second year here. So you've been at it quite a while and it doesn't happen overnight. Um, you're one of the first people I've talked to. Um, yeah. That 2010, yeah. that's quite a while ago. So it was, you know, 16 to 18, I still was working an off-farm job. Um, in 18, something had to give because I couldn't continue to, um, you know, let my entire life suffer. Because when you're doing farming and you're building it and you're working an off-farm job, like a lot of your relationships will suffer. You know, you're farming by headlamp at night and did that for a few years, but I came to a point where the farm got big enough that I had to make a decision. Either I had to chill out on the farming and scale back, or I had to quit my day job. Um, so I ultimately ended up quitting my day job in 2018. So I've been farming full-time um, as my income since then, since 18. And yeah, I mean, your goal, if you're wanting to get to full-time farming, if that is your goal, some people don't have that as a goal. Some people just want to you know, raise enough animals to maybe pay for a nice vacation once or twice a year. You know, it's just a side sure. hustle. That's cool too. But if you, I think the magic number for people to try and get to as fast as they can is 500,000 a year in sales. Cause at 500,000 a year in gross sales, like you can support a, a decent life off that, you know? Um, sure. So that's kind of, you know, my two cents on as far as like yeah. size and volume you should be shooting for um, if you want to make a full-time career out of it. So. Sure. Now, when you throw a number out there like that, like $500,000 in gross sales, I know obviously, you know, that's not, that's not just counting profit and you've got to have a profitable operation talking about going full time. What, what kind of advice, what kind of tracking numbers, how do you make sure that you're keeping profit when you're looking at the type of operation that you got? Yeah. Right. Cause it's not about how much money you make. It's about how much money you keep. So that's right. um, just get, getting your margins, right. I mean, when you sit down and lay out you know, depends on how you sell it to like most of our stuff is direct to consumer retail. Um, we don't do a ton of wholesale. We do service wholesale accounts that reach out to us, but we don't pursue them aggressively just because the margin's smaller on those. Um, sure. So it's all done in the office. I mean, you got to look at all your input costs on the life cycle of that animal. Plus, you got to build in, you know, your overhead for 
for miscellaneous expenses like electricity and farm insurance and all these things. So we have a number, like say on a pig, for example, we know that on one hog, right, it's going to take us $450 to produce and slaughter that hog to be individually packaged for retail sale. Our numbers on what that hog sells for when we sell it cut by cut, like online or at a market is going to be around 12 to 1400, depending on the cuts, you know, if it's brats or versus ground sausage or whatnot. But so the 450, that's, that's that's our cost for feeding, butchering and the feeder piglet. So say, you know, your, your, your 50 pound feeder pig, um, and then all of our other expenses like employee costs and farm insurance and all that, that's all coming out of that other, you know, nearly 900 or a thousand on that hog that's left sure. over. Um, so just make sure you get your numbers right. And I get asked by farmers all the time, like, where do I start? Like, I don't know how to price my stuff. Well, you know, you never. So what, what I would recommend to them is get a hog back from the butcher, lay it out. You need to have a number in your head that you want to achieve for that animal to be worth doing and then yeah. start assigning prices to each cut. You know, maybe bacon's worth a little more. These hocks are worth a little less. Lay it all out on the table and get a grand total number. That's a good starting point. Or yeah. my, my, my thinking has recently evolved probably within the last six months. An easier answer is copy someone who's already figured yeah. out what good margins are and yeah. just go to their website and just steal their prices to start with because sure. it, they arrived at that for a reason. Like if you look at my pricing or some of the other guys that do what I do in the beginning, you might say, well, that's crazy that their bacon's $13 a pound. Like I want to sell mine for eight. Well, you can do that. You're going to always be out of bacon and eventually you'll get to being at 13 because that's what it's worth. You know what I mean? So you can take a few years to get there or you could just start by imitating someone who already does what you do in a similar way because they arrived at those numbers for a reason. Um, I like the way that, you know, you talked about laying out, you know, like a whole pork like that and looking through the cuts, you know, that's kind of how we, we did ours. You know, I, I tell a lot of the people that work with me, cause I talk about, you know, price a little bit is, you know, your price is your price, right? Your price is going to be different than my price. You, the, the price is costing you to raise those hogs. That's, that's a great price. You're super efficient at that price. You know, obviously you're, you're at a large scale and so you're able to drive that price down, but for somebody else who can't produce it at that price, right? Their price is going to be the price they need to be profitable. Like you said, so when they got those cuts laying there, they're like, Hey, this, this is the number I need out of this to make it worth my time. Um, and you know, it kind of is what it is. And if we're trying to build a brand and one day, you know, kind of following your steps and, you know, and go full time in it, like we've, we've got to be profitable and if we're not profitable, we're not sustainable. If we're not sustainable, it's kind of all for nothing. Right. Um, right. Yeah. And it, and it all comes down to making money. I mean, at the end of the day, like you could do it for the environment or for animal welfare or better quality product. There's so many reasons why we do what we do. But at the end of the day, like you said, if you're not making money, you're not going to be doing it very long. So right. that should be one of the most important things um, to make sure that you got right. And, and you're right. We do have a competitive advantage being where we're located with um, our non-GMO inputs. Like I'm paying half of what guys in California are paying for that stuff, you know, for the grain rations that yeah. the hogs and the chickens are eating. So, yeah, you're, you're right in that aspect that our prices are pretty competitive just because of where we're located. But sure. Um, yeah. yeah. So tell me. Don't get in a don't get in a, a price. You know you don't want to be in a race to the bottom to try and gain market share. So I see a lot of times like new farms come in and they'll just you know they'll be selling ground pork for 
485 a pound. I'm like, wow. You're not going to be here in a year or like something's yeah. going to like the reason yeah. that they can do that and not realize is because they're so small, they won't go bankrupt in a month. If I sold yeah. that for that price, I would have major problems within 30 days, yeah. you know? Um, so yeah, don't get in a, don't try and gain market share by just undercutting, you know, other people in your sector because you'll just be the first one to go out of business. Absolutely. You know, so something I wanted to kind of dive into, I think it's, it was really obvious to me, again, looking at your, your Instagram content, you are a hard worker. Um, you know, you've talked a lot about, you know, I think it's some of your reels you've made, you know, like working late nights and doing what, it, you know, you kind of you need to do and, and that sort of thing. Um, and you've, you've built this since, you know, 2010 and, you know, ultimately have gone full time in it. At what point, because I, you know, you hear a lot of farmers talk about burnout and when you were in that time period, like we were like, something's got to give, right? I mean, you're working that full-time job, you're farming with the headlamp. What, what kept you going? And then in the second part of that question, like what advice would you give to someone who's like, they're, they feel like they're almost there and what, what, what pushes them over the edge? Yeah. So two things on that one, you're gonna, I see the Marines gave me a lot of, I guess you, you gotta be kind of a, a person with a lot of grit to make it through that little uh, hiccup. Cause it, it's pretty hard. Um, yeah. but the defining moment will come when, when you, I, I wouldn't say a mental breakdown, but you feel like you're going to lose it because it's like, I can't, like, my wife hates me. I've never <laughs> seen my kids. I'm out here in the middle of the night, like, moving chickens in the dark. Like, and I think that there's going to come a point where you have to decide because you've gotten too big. But an easier answer is, is when you are losing money that you could have made on the farm because you have to leave to go fulfill your nine to five commitment. So there got to be a point too where I would go to work and I would make $400 at work for the day. But I knew that I missed out on selling a thousand dollars worth of meat that day. You know what I mean? Or I had piglets that started farrowing an hour to go. Well, I got to leave. I got to go. I can't sit here all day. I hope they don't need pull, you know, and then I come home to 14 dead piglets. It's like, I I shouldn't have went to work today. You know, I couldn't afford to go to work today. I just lost what I made by going. So it became a wash. It's like, you know, um, so that was kind of one of those moments too, where it's when you could, when you know, you could have made more today by staying home and working on your business, whether it be sending out an email, email is a great email is like getting money from an ATM machine. Like right now I could send out, spend an hour and craft a great email to my customer list. And it's going to produce thousands of dollars in sales within the next three days. Guaranteed. Like once you have at least a thousand people on your email list. That's a good starting point for it to work. Like, like every time, like it's just, it's guaranteed sales. But once you start getting many thousands of people, it it is, it's, it's like, Oh, well I want to buy a box van, you know, in three weeks, I better send out a couple emails and it'll pay for it. You know, I mean, I, so once you get to a point to where you could be doing things to market and sell meat, or products, you know, even if it's veg, um, and make the same that you could at your day job. That's when it's, it's time to, I guess. So. Yeah. I guess it kind of, it kind of tells you when it's time in that, in that aspect. I'm, yeah. I'm, so I'm, I love that you kind of started talking about email right there. You know, obviously I, I do the marketing stuff. I know we haven't connected a ton on, you know, what I do and kind of what I'm offering to, you know, to help with farmers, but I, I talk a lot about email marketing. Um, something I throw out at clients and this is by no means universal. This is obviously there's a ton of variables to this. I just kind of tell people this to give them an idea 
about what email marketing can do for them and give them some baselines. But I tell them that around about a thousand email contacts can equal roughly a hundred thousand dollars in gross farm sales. Okay, so there's a ton of variables to that. Um, but once we kind of, like you said, get to those numbers, depending on what we're selling whole and half animal deposits or cuts, I mean, again, ton of variables, right? But like you've, you've already kind of attested to once you have that database and you can kind of push that button, you know, you're going to get those sales. What, what advice would you give? I know you do a lot of farmer's markets. So I'm sure you're collecting a ton of emails. Um, but what advice, what else has worked for you other than just collecting emails at the farmer's market? Um, yeah, so collect on collecting emails too. another incentive if you have employees like i do where we have seven farmers markets going simultaneously sometimes on saturday and sunday um we pay our employees a dollar per email that they collect as an incentive so and there's no cap on that so that really boosts our email collection like we have one guy he was a superstar collecting emails he could get 100 emails at every market he went to every single day like his only limiting factor on how many emails he would collect is how many email sheets we sent him with so he got fed up with our sheets and he yeah. started taking his own copies of sheets because he was tired of running out. So he was nice. making an extra hundred bucks a day collecting emails. We pay a buck an email. Um, and that's, it's worth way more than that to me because these are high quality emails from customers who are already in the local food shopping at markets. It's not like you're just buying a spam email list, you know, off yep. the dark web or something. Cause that's going to be pretty, pretty cold emails. That's um, right. so you know, collect, what was the question? I'm sorry. You might have to edit that. But yeah, no. So we're, we're talking about, you know, some things that had worked for you in collecting emails. Um, collecting that process. Yeah. So employee incentives to collect those or for you, um, you know, and it's not just people that are buying from you. It's anybody who passes, you know, looks at you at the, Hey, how you doing? Are you on our email list yet? Let me tell you about it. So customer journeys too. Like we set up customer journeys on our emails. So that way, once we send out there once we load them into our email um, apps or our email software, they'll get automated emails. Like first one comes like the day we loaded in the second one comes two weeks later then three weeks sure. later. And so they could be emails about our subscription bundles or about, you know, um, just products we offer things we do, or if we write, you know, it kind of stinks sometimes when you spend a couple hours crafting a really amazing email, that's not time sensitive. It's just a, an, a general purpose like this would be relevant anytime to anyone you know type of email yep. well you could add that into your journey deck somewhere and so that way everybody in your email list gets it you know and it's not just whoever was on your email list that month so going forward it would get to be reused um so you get to recycle that content but Absolutely. yeah when i first started my farm you know that was a, a question that was asked to me is well what's your email list look like send that over to me and i'm like email list like Dude, was this like 1990? Like, yeah. do people still use emails? Yeah. And, and I didn't believe it. And then once I started doing yeah. this, I'm like, fine, all right, I'll collect emails. And now it's yeah. like, holy crap, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. No, I, lo I love that you said that. I, I definitely have sentiment with you in that. I think when I when I was I actually, so a little background on me, about 10 years ago, I started a pressure washing business. Uh, it's the first business I ever started. Um, long story short, a couple of years, I scaled it to several service trucks, several employees and was able to sell that business. But same story, you know, when I started, it was like, it was like, oh, collect emails. I'm like, it's 2010, 12. I'm like, I'm not collecting email. And I just got out of college. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not collecting emails. Right. And then you learn that like people are so hardwired to be in that sales process when they get an email. Right. And that's, I think that's what's so much different than social media. Right. When they're, when they're on social media, maybe 
you know, they're going to the bathroom, they're in the drive school line, like they're laying in a sofa, right? And they're scrolling. They're not really thinking buying, they're thinking entertainment, which is kind of sad for our, you know, society we live in, but it's just kind of the world it is. But then when they're in that email mindset, like they're used to seeing things that are important, they're more business minded, maybe, you know, they're, they're purchasing. Um, so I think you're catching someone at a time where their mindset is more geared towards purchasing and like they perform really well. You know, the emails you send out are going to be seen. It's not like Facebook and Instagram where, you know, the algorithm could like suppress them because you're trying to sell something, right? You know, everyone on that list is going to see it. They're going to have a chance to buy it. It's something that they care about. Like you said, they're already connected to the local food scene. Um, so I've, I've talked to several farmers that, you know, they have the same thing. They're like, oh, emails, that, that can't work. You know, that can't be as simple as it is. Yeah. And even if, and even if the customer that sees that email doesn't buy anything, you just got put to the top of the shuffle in their brain that day. I mean, so it'd be thousands of people that thought about your farm for at least one second that day that otherwise wouldn't have. And so they may have a conversation in the car pickup line where a lady says, I wish I knew a local farm I could buy meat from. And she's like, Oh yeah, Bennett farms, you know, or, or your farm's name. Um, oh yeah. That's, I mean, that right there is huge. And at the end of the day, you're, you're feeding into, you know, that's, that's word of mouth. And this is something I tell all my clients is, you know, word of mouth is King. It's always going to be King. Um, no matter what fancy marketing stuff we come up with. Um, but we look at all these other things like a spoke in the wheel, right? It's like, you know, um, you know, your website's not the key. Um, it's not necessarily the, just the farmer's marker, or just the emailing. It's, it's how they all work together. I'm sorry, are you good? So this is the first of two times that we lose connection due to internet, but we do hop right back into the conversation. So you guys stay tuned. There. Hey, you back. Yeah, man, that was crazy. I think my internet dropped out. So I, oh, no I switched it over to um, a different server. So it'll be. Oh, you're good. Um, Sorry. You said, so good, at the, the last thing I heard um, from you was, um, so at the end of the day, we were talking about emails. Um, are you going to lose that whole yeah. thing? From so me? I was kind of, no, I still, I'm still, I still got it. I'm still rolling over here. Okay. Nope. I, I got it. So what I, I started to kind of die, because you, you mentioned that lady, you know, she's in the carpool line, I think you said, you know, she gets that email and then, you know, someone asked her a question, hey, do you know about a local farm? And you were on the top of her brain, so she shares about your farm, right? And so I was kind of diving into, you know, now you're getting into that word of mouth piece. And I was like, you know, word of mouth is king. And I kind of tell everyone, when we look at all this marketing stuff, whether it's emails, websites, farmers markets, they're all like spokes in a wheel, right? And we, we got to have them all to kind of be functioning properly to get that whole machine moving down the road. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, word of mouth is, it's, it's the big driver. And like you said, if, if we can help build that through emails or whatever that looks like, you know, we're, we're definitely moving in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. And then back in our early days, when we first started out, we were doing direct mailers. Like we were filling them out by hand at our kitchen table and mailing out like flyers. And I think my return on that was I had to sell one half hog at least minimum for every 500 I sent out just to break even. So if I sold two, I made money. You know what I mean? So it's like, and that was way wow, back before yeah. our email. That's days. great though, but you know, I mean, you build what you got, and I think, you know, that's that's just kind of a strategy thing there. You know, obviously, it it takes some push and pull. You know, I mean, you want to be profitable um, from the beginning as early as possible, but you, at some point, you definitely have to invest. You definitely have to be willing to you know, maybe not make money up front on something so you can build somewhere else over here or you can scale this part of your operation. Um, you know, we want to be careful about how much we do that because it's tough to get off that wheel sometimes. Um, but it's, it's part of it. 
Yeah, so Tom, I wanted to, um, you know, obviously being up there and being able to see the scale of your operation, some of the numbers that you talked about, uh, I was super intrigued in that piece just to just to see how you did what you did with the numbers that you're talking about. I mean, you know, raising 10,000 broilers, that's, you know, that's unbelievable, you know, to, to my mind as a pasture poultry producer and just and just where I am. I mean, we'll, we'll raise a few thousand birds this year, um, but 10,000 is a whole nother ball game. Um, and so... I, I would have loved to see some of that production side. Um, tell me just a little bit about what you think um, would be the biggest takeaways as far as scaling production um, of kind of boots on the ground. Yeah. So it's about replication. I mean, just, you, you know, you, you figure out what method works for you. Like our, our batches are a thousand in size. We tried doing 1500 bird batches and that was no good. Um, too much piling too much. If you have one bad day, you can lose 500 birds in like an hour. So, you know, stick with your smaller batches and just replicate it. Um, one thing too, advice for people getting into this is when I first started, I would hear about farms raising a thousand birds or 2000 birds. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, like I can't imagine selling a thousand birds in a year direct to consumer. Like, how do you even get there? It just seems so far. You know, this is when I started yeah. out with a few hundred and, um, and, and going from zero to a thousand or zero to 2000 is way harder than going from 2000 to 10,000. So just, in that first couple thousand birds that you're doing, you're like, you're learning how to build a customer base. You're building a reputation. You're figuring out your sales channels. And then after that, it's easy. So don't think that every thousand is as hard as the first was. Um, once you get to a few thousand, then from there, it's, it's exponentially easier um, to, sure. to grow. Um, sure. You know, with scaling. So, also, you know, depends on what your method is. If you're purely online, like we wouldn't survive without e-commerce online. I wouldn't be a full-time farm. Even with the 19 farmers markets we do a year um, there, throughout the summer, we do seven in the winter, 19 in the summer per week. Um, if I didn't have online sales, like in the winter, I would have to get a day job. Like there's just because of the cash flow thing, it can't stop. Yeah. You know, we got to have cash flow. Um, yeah. And uh See, so being online is really important, but say if you do a farmer's market, right. And you're like, maybe your local market does a thousand dollars in sales, you know, in six, six, seven hours, whatever the time is. So figure out what your margin is for profit on that. You know, um, maybe you're only clearing $300. Cause say if, if you sell a thousand dollars worth of meat, three or 400 of it's going to go to replace the product that you sold. Right. So now you're at 600. So the 600 say, you might be working for free, but you need to make sure you can pay an employee to do it, right? Because we shouldn't be working for free. And if your excuse is, well, I can't afford to pay someone to do this for me, then you shouldn't be doing it yourself either. Because if you can't afford to pay someone to do it, then yeah. then you shouldn't be doing it, you know? So that's a clear red flag. Um, so once you work in your employee cost, maybe your market fees, your fuel, those things, maybe you're at, you made a couple hundred dollars net profit on that market for the day. Okay, you can't live on that. That's not enough, Right. So now you just got to do eight markets a day. Yeah, That's all it is, you know? So it's, that's why we do 19 a week. Um, but then you get into metropolitan areas and that's where the money's, I mean, there's a lot of money to be made in a city of 7 million people. So you can do six times your normal local sales. If you're willing to drive maybe a couple hours extra each way to a, um, to a huge city. Um, and that's kind of what we, that's awesome. Yeah. So. 
but yeah, replicate whatever. Yeah, no, whatever that's great working, stuff. Replicate um, it, you know, and and you'll be all right. So you, you just gotta, yeah. And this is the final time that the internet dropped out. We jump right back into it in a question that I had for Tom. You know, one on that on that production side, it looks like you're raising a lot of your broilers outside on grass in like a poultry netting. Um, or even just on in pasture, not inside, like typically what you see, you know, a chicken tractor or, you know, some type of mobile shelter, you know, two kind of two part on that. Did you start with chicken tractors and then, you know, what got you to, you know, put them in the poultry and maybe some pros and cons of, of that type of operation? Yeah. So, um, you know, with pastured poultry, the, the thing there is you need to move it on fresh pasture every day. Like that's what makes pastured poultry, pastured poultry, you know, it's not dirt lot poultry. So you got to have movement. Um, and we did start out when we were, you know, below a thought, well, we went up to like 2000, still using like the 10 by 12, like Salatin style. It was a variation of that. It was more of a hoop poultry thing that we were pulling around, but we got up to like 13 of them. And it was just, it was, the water was the issue because those birds would go through so much water um, that, that became like the limiting factor. So we went with bigger, um, we do use chicken tractors too. Um, so we got some chicken tractors that are like i built one this year that's 18 by 40. um it works but when it's hot out it's hard to get the birds to move so the the netting what you're seeing a lot of times on instagram that's our overflow um because we'll have on any given day uh three thousand to four thousand birds on our farm like during the main production season so we run out of chicken tractors um i would like to there's some really good chicken tractors out there but it's just the you know, from a money standpoint, you know, it can be fifteen to twenty thousand dollars for those big chicken tractors that hold six hundred birds. Well, I need two of them for that. I mean six of those. So that's like seventy grand, right? For those yeah. for those items. And with the outdoor method where they have shelters and we move that every other day, um, we just drag the feeders and they follow, you know, to a fresh area. Um, we do have some predation with owls and hawks, but even if we lose three chickens a day to predation <laughs> you can do that for a long time before you get to seventy thousand dollars in losses you know what i mean yeah. so yeah. um yeah. it's it's not ideal i mean we're doing that with netting just because we're we're running what we've run you know um with our growth has been fast and whenever we get our hands on an excess 20 grand that's not earmarked for anything it's like we've been you know we need to put in more freezers or maybe we need another box truck or there's just always things that seem more important than the the fancy chicken tractors that hold you know 600 birds because we can make do without it but yeah. eventually we'll, we'll get those bigger ones but and our farm is there's a lot of there's not a lot of straight flat areas like i can't go for 20 acres in a straight line like i'm constantly having to turn and stuff and that's bad with those because you you do lose birds every time you turn um unless you've got a big crew with you that can help keep them away from the edges so yeah. You know, that's kind of where we're at on that. But we, we do use both. Um, I would have them all in chicken tractors, but and it, it wouldn't be that much. I amortized it out one year. I'm like, you know, it only cost me 50 cents a bird for five years to pay for all those. You know, it's a good wow. deal. It ain't bad. Wow. Yeah. But, no, but bad. we just, there's just always, I like to spend money on things that are going to make me more money. Um, and that doesn't really do that as much as some other things that we, sh you know, invest in um on our farm so yeah, that, yeah that's no, another I, thing I, I would tell people like if you're new to this and you're buying like twenty thousand dollar utvs and all this crazy stuff brand new kubota tractors and all this like 
that's probably not the smartest thing. I mean, why would you buy a $20,000 side by side when you could buy a Ford Ranger for two grand? They're going to do the same yeah. thing on your farm. That's you very, know, you need to, and you could use that other $18,000 to grow your production, like in an area that makes more sense, you know, maybe a licensed egg washing area or a, another walk-in freezer. So you can, you know, that was one of the big growth things on our farm too, is in, in the beginning, we were limited in production by how much freezer capacity we had. Well, I didn't have the funds or the, I, I, it wasn't on my, on my plans to put in, you know, massive freezer buildings or anything. So what helped us was we were able to find cold storage um, in our region where they just charge you, you know, at the time it was 12 bucks a month per pallet to, to drop off. So we could pr- overproduce, you know, and then put it in cold storage and then pull it out and come back and fill up the farm as needed. Um, so we weren't limited by our freezer capacity. So, yeah. That's great. No, I've, I've, I've actually had, you know, to do that myself. And that's, that's, a, that's a great way to kind of, you know, kind of cripple along that growth, right. And just kind of let it, let it keep going. Um, I noticed on your Instagram page, you have, um, uh, let me see, I think, I believe it's 2021 conservation farmer of the year. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, um, up here in Michigan, our state has a, what's called the meat program. It's Michigan environmentally verified assessment program. Um, and we are an environmentally verified farm through the state and the state, uh, they came out to do a tour of my farm it was in 2021. And I just thought they were just doing like a reinspection or whatever. And they walked around and looked at everything. And then on the way out the door, they were like, by the way, you're in the running for conservation farm of the year. I'm like, Oh, sounds cool. Let me know how that goes. <laughs> and, and we won it. So, you know, a few <laughs> months later we got the call that we were awarded that. Um, yeah. so yeah, that was pretty cool for, for our area. We really, um, milk to that in our marketing stuff. So, you know, anytime yeah. you can, you know, you use, you know, something like that for marketing, it's always a plus because it allows you to differentiate yourself from maybe some other people that do the same thing you do. Um, so yeah. it's nice. Yeah, no, it looks like you guys have some really cool things going on. You know, I hate that I was didn't get to see it in person, but you know, maybe we can reconnect in the spring on that. Um, you know, I've, I think you've shared a lot of really valuable things. A lot of um, yeah, yeah, answers, yeah. a lot of answers and things that are, um, you know, super encouraging, I think for farmers that are, you know, maybe they're in that squeeze point, they're in those transition years, they're, they're in those, you know, years wearing the headlamp working, you know, late at night and, you know, kind of grinding through things right now. And, and, you know, to hear from someone that's done it, I think super valuable. And it's, you know, kind of want to thank you for your time. I, I kind of wrapped up here, unless you got anything else you want to share with us. No, I think that'll do it. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Talk, just give um, a call back. Before we uh, before we close out, if you would again, maybe just share that URL for the website, um, share that Instagram page, or anything else that someone can check you out. Yeah, our website's Bennett Farms Michigan at Gmail, and our uh, Instagram is at Bennett Farms Michigan as well. So all of our stuffs Bennett Farms Michigan. Awesome. Well, Tom, thank you again for your time. We appreciate it. Yep. Thanks. Have a good one. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you found some valuable content inside of this conversation with Tom. He's been doing this a long time. He's got a lot of experience and I'm telling you, give him a follow on Instagram. It is some of the most underrated content 
on social media. And guys, please don't forget to comment and leave a review for this podcast episode and the podcast in general. It really helps boost this podcast for the algorithm and let more farmers and ranchers just like you listen and benefit from the contents. I also wanted to remind you guys that in 2024, we are kicking off another round of my premium coaching and you can still use Coach Me for $500 off of my 16-week program, helping you set up all of your farming or ranching marketing in infrastructure that you can grow and scale in 2024. So I look forward to hearing from you guys. Please reach out to me directly at mike at directfarmroadmap.com if you have any questions.